Today is the last Sunday of our Matthew 24 series and Jesus' Olivet Discourse continues on into chapter 25, but I'm going to end here at the end of chapter 24 today. Looking at verses 42 through 51, and I'm going to read the entirety of the passage because I'm not going to do my typical expository verse-by-verse process. I'm going to take information from these verses and craft them a little different today. But Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, New Living Translation. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You must you also must be ready all the time. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks my master won't be back for a while? And he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected. And he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place... There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Today I want to preach just for a little bit on living ready for His return. Living ready for His return. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the emergency broadcast system. Anybody familiar with that? Well, an alert would go off or an alarm would go off and it would say, this is only a test of the emergency broadcast system. If it was more than a test, then they would tell you what needs to be done or what action you need to take. It is, I believe, this week that they are testing a new emergency alert system. At 2.20 Eastern Time on Wednesday, October the 4th, Every radio station, every TV station, every cell phone is supposed to go off. It will be 1.20 our time with an alert notification saying that it is only a test. And we'll see what happens with that process. But an alert, it tells you what's coming. An alert, it tells you that there is danger. An alert that tells you that something needs to be done or something needs to take place. This idea of an alert process, it is not new to our time. It was a project or a thing that was done in antiquity where the watchman, the Bible would say, the watchman on the wall, of the, the walled cities of the, the Old Testament as they would stand on the walls and they would walk back and forth looking for an approaching enemy, looking for danger that was on the horizon. No radar, no other means of knowing that 
people, the armies were coming. They could come all the way and just be on the other side of the, the ridge or the other side of the hill. And they, no one would know and the watchman would watch and would alert the people that there is danger. Jesus uses this idea of being alert, not so much in the sense of that watchman, but that we ourselves are to be watchmen for His return, that we are to be looking for His return, that He is soon to come. And ultimately, what I would tell you is this, we must live ready for His return or we will be lost when He comes back. That Jesus is not just going, hey, be alert and be watching just because there's nothing else to do. Just because it's a good idea, but He is telling us and exhorting us, and in fact, He takes it beyond an exhortation. It is a command in the Greek language to watch and be alert for the danger that is coming. And not in that sense, but the soon return because He does not want to catch us unaware. The danger of His return is really to those who are lost, but the danger for us is if we are not ready for His return, we too will be lost. So how do we remain alert? And and why must we be alert? How important is being alert? Today, my message is a little different than what we have looked at before and It is about how we live in this interim between now and the time of His second coming. Between now and the time of the rapture, how do we live and how should we live in an alert state? What does that mean to be alert? How does that mean that every morning we get up and we we search the news or we look outside and see if there's a sign in the heavens? Or does be alert just mean that we live ready? That if He comes at any moment, we're ready to meet Him when He returns. And I would tell you, it is the latter. So from this passage, and I'm not going to, as I mentioned, I'm not going to walk straight down the passage. But I'm going to explore four areas that you and I must be faithful as we await the return of Jesus. The first area is this, that we must be faithful to God's purpose. Jesus would say of the faithful servant that he is responsible, that he is, he's able to have the responsibility of taking care of the others. When it comes to God's purpose, there is a general purpose for all of our lives. Those general purposes are this, it is maturity and it is mission. That we have a, a purpose to grow in our relationship with Jesus. We have a purpose that is to, to make us to grow in His likeness and to be conformed to His image. That we're not, when we become followers of Jesus, just to stay the same. We've looked at that. We're not called to come to Jesus and never change, but we're called to become mature in our relationship with Him. And what does it mean to, to follow Jesus? And what does it mean to be a disciple? We're to grow in that process. Jesus would say in Luke 6.40 that a disciple, when he is fully trained, will be like his master. Which means that if we are fully trained disciples, we will be like Jesus. In our character, in our conduct, in our attitudes, that we will become more and more like Jesus. Someone else would say this, that 
being a disciple means that we are to grow more and more like Jesus in every way. Not just in our church attendance and not just in how we worship, but we are to grow more and more like Jesus in every way. That means for us that we should display the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The Bible uses that phrase, fruit of the Spirit, because it is something that the Spirit produces in us that we are to allow the Spirit to produce fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Out of Galatians 5, that those characteristics and those attributes should become more and more a part of our lives as the Spirit produces fruit in us. But not only is our purpose to grow and our purpose to mature and our purpose to become more like Jesus, but we have the purpose of multiplication or mission, that we are to live on mission for God. And God calls us to be fruitful. The fruit of the Spirit is what the Spirit produces us in us, but our fruitfulness is not to take credit for what the Spirit has done, but our fruitfulness is to multiply ourselves, to make disciples, to see other people come into the kingdom of God. That Fruitfulness is the replication or multiplication of something. God replicates himself in us through the fruit of the Spirit, and we are to replicate ourselves as disciples in others. We are called to to multiply. And if we're going to live ready, we have to live on that mission or that purpose of what God has called us to do, that general purpose. But there is also a specific purpose that God has for each of us. It is a purpose that is specific in our calling. It is specific in the tasks that we're to do. It's specific to the ministries that we are supposed to do. Not everybody's called to be a pastor, but everybody's called to do something for the kingdom of God. Not everybody's called to be a singer or a musician, but everybody is called to do something in the kingdom of God. And if we're going to be living faithful to God's purpose, it's not just growing in our relationship and it's not just multiplying, but it's the specific purpose of what God has given to each of us. We must live faithful to that. Failure to live faithful to that is not living ready for his return. Second area that Jesus would mention in this passage is that we are to to live faithful to God's people. The highest commandment, the first commandment is to love God. The second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And I would ask this question, who is more your neighbor than those who are of the household of faith? Paul would write in Galatians, so then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That if we're going to do good to anybody, it needs to be those who are part of the family of God. To help those who are part of the family of God, to take care of those who are part of the family of God, to serve them, to help them when they are in need, to be there when they have something they need and they cannot do it for themselves. Peter would also record this when he would use this, that we are people who have obtained like precious faith. We've talked about this before, but aren't you thankful when you find somebody who's a Christian and they believe the apostolic doctrine like you do, and there's just this camaraderie and this connection because they are people of like precious faith. We just got back 
last Saturday from our general conference, some 11,200 people at its peak attendance. And I love being around the people of God, people that I don't see, but may sometimes once a year or once every two or three years, but they're family. 11,200 of family reunion at General Conference, people of like precious faith, people that we would, should help and we should look out for whenever we have opportunity. It is first of all to these that we must be faithful and then by extension to others. But the Bible would list some 59 specific commands to believers about how we are to interact with one another. People would call these the one another's of Scripture. Sixteen times or so it says, love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourself. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Speak the truth and love to one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another and consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interests of one another and bear with one another and teach one another and comfort one another. And on it goes. There are even negative commands of one another's do not lie to one another and stop passing judgment on one another. Don't bite, backbite or devour one another. Don't provoke and envy one another. Do not slander, do not grumble against one another. But the Bible would speak a lot of how we are to act and relate to one another. And so while we should be kind and compassionate and helpful to everybody. It begins at the household of faith, so faithful to God's people. And the parable that Jesus tells, the story that he says is that, that the master has gone away and left people in charge, and they're taking care of one the people that are there. They're feeding them and helping them, taking care of the other servants. You and I, while we're not to provoke one another to anger, we are to provoke one another to good works. And right after the writer of Hebrews would record that, he would tell us that we are to be faithful to God's house, which is the third thing. We're to be faithful to God's purpose, to God's people, and to God's place. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I'm glad I'm here today in the house of God. But faithfulness to God's place, specifically the house of God, and you are here today for that, I am grateful. But it's multifaceted. One piece of that is we are to be faithful in attendance to the house of God. The psalmist would write, my foot almost slipped. I, I was looking at the prosperity of the wicked. I was seeing how they were being blessed, and they, they had lots of good, and they, they had prosperity everywhere they went, but they weren't following God. He said, my foot almost slipped, and I almost went down that path of, of being an unbeliever and following after them. He said, but then I went into the house of God. And when I went into the house of God, I understood their end, and I understood my end, as it were, and I knew that I was where I was supposed to be. The psalmist would also write, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. 
One day in the presence of God is better than thousands of days anywhere else outside of His presence. In another psalm, the psalmist would say, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold His beauty and to inquire in His temple. There's something about being in God's house, something about being in His place, and He is calling us to faithfulness to His place today. The psalmist would say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Jesus' custom was to be in the synagogue on the Sabbath day or to be at church on the Sabbath day. And for us, that is Sunday. The writer of Hebrews, after saying provoke one another to love and good works, would say this, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And what he says, the closer we get to the rapture of Jesus Christ and the the closer that we get to the second coming, the more faithful we need to be to the house of God, not less. Why? Because he says you got to be ready. that you got to live ready, and you can't live ready if you're not faithful to God's place. But it's not just faithful in attendance, but I would tell you we must be faithful in our participation. We can get kudos to some extent for showing up, but it's not enough to show up, but we must engage in the purpose of our gathering together. Why do we come? We come to worship God in a corporate body. We come to learn about the King of kings and the Lord of lords and be equipped to live in the world, to be equipped to reach the world. We come to grow. We come to fellowship. But coming to church is not a spectator sport. We are called to be participants in the kingdom of God and be participants in the house of God when we come. Why is church important? I would say to you, for the vast majority of us in this room, It is at church where we found God. It's at church where we repented of our sins. It is at church where we were baptized in the waters of baptism. It is at church where we were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's at church where we made life-changing decisions. It's in the house of God where God changed us and transformed us and drew us into a deeper relationship with Himself. You can get the Holy Ghost anywhere, you can repent anywhere, you can get baptized in a lake, a river, a stream, but for the vast majority of people, it's what takes place within the walls of a church that changes their life and transforms them and causes them to be followers of Jesus and it helps them to experience the new birth. We must be faithful to God's place. Because I like alliteration Let me give you one more P, and then I'll explain it. Not only are we faithful to God's purpose, to God's people, and to God's place, but we must be faithful to God's piety. And really, that's just a synonym for holiness. But holiness starts with an H, so I needed a P word. The Bible would say in the passage that we read, that this evil servant 
lived in sin. And it is from that aspect that I get this faithful to the God's holiness. The Bible would say of God that he is a holy God. Over and over, it would use that word holy to describe God. It would use the word holy to explain his nature and use holy to explain that he was set apart and different from all of us, not just in his power, not just in his knowledge, not just in his um, omnipresence, but he was set apart from us in his holiness. We are sinful and he is holy. Isaiah would record this in Isaiah 6. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple, and seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. While the temples were filling with smoke, then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send? And Isaiah would say, Here am I, send me. That Isaiah, when he sees God, the, the one overarching attribute of God is that he is holy. That repetition is to drive home and emphasize that that is this primary attribute of the God that we serve, that He is a holy God. We receive the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of a holy God. And holiness means that He is without sin, He is without blemish, He is without any iniquity at all and none of it is in him and Isaiah would say when he sees God's holiness he recognized his sinfulness and God wanted to cleanse him and in that vision he the angel cleansed him of his iniquity and what I would tell you that is what God does in our lives when we come into relationship with him his desire is to cleanse us of all sin and to cleanse us of our unholiness that holiness of God, it is that same phraseology in Revelation 4.8. When John would see God, the angels would say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. So if we're going to live ready for the return of Jesus, we must live holy. Peter would write this, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all of your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. It is true, it is a biblical fact that when we are born again, God takes away our sin. 
And God declares us to be holy. He declares us to be set apart. He declares us to be righteous, not because we then all of a sudden become righteous, but because He imputes His own righteousness to us. And I've used this illustration before. Imagine, if you would, a whiteboard full of black spots representing our sin. That when we come to Jesus, He wipes all of that off and He makes us white as snow. But not only does He take away our sin, but He puts His righteousness on us. And it is because we're not just a blank slate, but we have the righteousness of Jesus that we make it to heaven. Because of His righteousness, we're able to enter in to heaven. But to those who have been saved and to those who have been made holy, those who have been justified at the new birth, there is still the command and still the call to live holy. To live up to what God has called us to be and to live up to what He has declared us to be. He declares us holy, but He says now we live like we are holy. Let he who steals steal no more. Let he who lies lie no more. And He goes on, if you've done this and you don't do it anymore because you're now holy, so you have to live in a manner worthy of what I have called you. But holiness is multifaceted. It is not just as simple as one or two things you change in your life. That holiness is inward, and it is also outward. And inward, it is our character. It is our passions. It's what goes on on the inside. Outward holiness is what goes on on the outside. It's what people can see. It is the actions that we take. It is the, mo- the motives that we have. It is the thoughts that we think. It is the speech that we use. Speech such as not speaking profanity, but speaking the truth, abstaining from gossip and not biting, backbiting and tearing down your neighbor. Holiness is about what we wear. It's about uh, wearing that which is modest and that which is gender distinctive. It's about where we go or where we don't go. Not going to nightclubs or strip clubs or bars or even restaurants that would lead themselves to that. It's what we do and what we don't do. It's abstaining from sin and abstaining from sexual immorality and abstaining from addictive habits. But it's also helping the poor and helping the needy and being kind and being compassionate and being nice and Loving your neighbor, it is multifaceted. It's what we think. It is the purity of thoughts. And that Paul would write, whatsoever things are good and pure and holy, think on these things. I mentioned this in Sunday school. It's also what we desire. Where James would say we sin when we are enticed and drawn away of our own desires. So the psalmist would write, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. When we seek Him, His desires become our desires. 
that if we're going to live ready for the return of Jesus, it's not living like the world. It's living faithful to God's holiness. I've used this in recent weeks. As Anna comes to the piano, but I've used this in recent weeks. It is come as you are to Jesus, but it is not a stay as you are. That you don't come to Jesus and say, I want you to save me. And I want to keep doing everything I've always done. I want you to save me from my sin, and I want to keep sinning. He doesn't save us just from the consequences of sin if we keep living in sin. I don't know the exact numbers. I heard this this week that that Jesus is called Lord some four times or more than He's called Savior. And everybody wants a Savior but very few people want a Lord. Because if Jesus is the Lord of your life, that means He gets to tell you what to do. He gets to tell you how to live. He gets to tell you how to act. He gets to tell you how to think. Everybody wants a Savior. But not everybody wants a Lord. Would you stand together today? This whole series, once again, I said it last week, I'm I'm preaching this series because I felt like God told me to do it, so that's what I'm doing. A lot of overlap and some repetition. But Jesus Christ is soon to come. And it's not enough just to believe that, yeah, He's coming back. But you and I must live ready for His return. That it can't be business as usual. It can't be, let's just keep going, doing life like we've always done it. But it's about being faithful to God's purpose and God's people and God's place and to God's holiness. That if I'm going to be ready to stand before Jesus, it matters how I live today. And it matters how I live tomorrow and it matters how I live next week. That our salvation is not a one-time experience that took place in the past. But my relationship with Jesus today and my relationship with Jesus when He comes determines my salvation. I go through the door into His kingdom. I, I've been born again. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus, but that's, that's the caveat. We have to be new creatures in Christ Jesus. We can't be new creatures doing all the old habits. We can't be new creatures and living just like the old self. But He calls us to holiness. He calls us to live different. He calls us to live true to His Word. And in Jesus teaching in Matthew, he does an interesting thing. I read it, maybe you didn't catch it. 
but he talks about the faithful servant. And you would think that what he would do is, if he's creating two opposites, that he would be but the unfaithful servant. But he doesn't do that. It's the faithful servant, and it's the evil servant. Those don't correlate. If I ask you what's the opposite of faithful, you would say unfaithful. But for Jesus, it's the faithful and the evil. told you earlier that our relationship with God in the Bible is about faith from beginning to end. And Jesus would ask this question using his third person way of addressing who he was. In Luke 18, 8, I tell you that he will bring about, speaking of himself, justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on the earth? The faithful servant is true to God's purpose. He's faithful to God's people. He's faithful to his house. And he lives in holiness. But the evil servant, he ignores God's people. And he says he's coming coming back in a long time. It's not any time soon. He mistreats the people. Jesus in his story would say he beats the others. He spends time in the wrong place eating with and drinking with drunkards. He lives in sin. For you and I who are called by God to live holy, to live righteous, to live separately in the world, must be faithful to His holiness. The reward of the faithful is blessing and increase. I tell you the truth, the Master will put that servant in charge of all He owns. That's what we're going to get. That we're going to be made kings and priests in His eternal kingdom. But if the servant is evil, saying He won't be back for a while, And when he comes unexpected, he will cut the servant into pieces and assign him to a place with the hypocrites. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you're familiar with the New Testament at all, you will know that that phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, is hand in hand with that eternal judgment that we're going to get. So my call today... It's not to condemn, it's not to criticize, but it is to call you today to live holy. To say, Lord, I want to live in the way you want me to live. I, I don't want to live unfaithful to your holiness. I don't want to live in a way that's not pleasing to you. I want to come out from the world. I want to be different from the world, and I want to be like you. I don't want to have the mindset of the world, but I want to have the mind of Christ I don't want to do the things that the world says are okay, but I only want to do those things that you say are okay. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is that death, burial, and resurrection. 
It is the starting point for that new life where we can apply the gospel through repentance and baptism and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But when we do that, now we're on this new journey. It's a new life. It is a different life from the past. God does call us to live different and to live holy and to live in a way that's pleasing to Him. And if that's your desire today, I'm going to invite all of you to come around the front for a few minutes to commit to living the way that God wants you to do. Commit to living ready for His return, and that means faithful to His house and faithful to His people and faithful to His purpose, but also faithful to His holiness. God, we want to please You in everything we do. God, we want to please You in everything that we do. We glorify Your name. We glorify your name. We glorify your name. We glorify your name, Jesus. God, we worship and adore you because of who you are today. We worship you because of who you are today. God, we're here for you today. We're here for you today. We're here for you today, Jesus. We're here to live, to make ourselves committed to you in a way that's pleasing to you. We glorify your name. We exalt your name. We exalt your name. We exalt your name, Lord. We worship you today. Come on, would you cry out to the Lord for just a few minutes? God, I want to live ready for your return.